You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Women's Health, sponsored in part by Eli Lilly. Your host is Dr. Lisa Mazzullo, Assistant Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University Medical School, the Feinberg School of Medicine. In 2004, the cesarean section rate rose to 29% and the VBAC rate fell 16%. Are we witnessing remedicalization of childbirth? I'm joined by Dr. Alan Peaceman, Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine and Chief of the Division of Maternal Fetal Medicine. Dr. Peaceman and I are discussing the challenges and concerns that we have about cesarean section on maternal request. Dr. Peaceman, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. So, you know, it's interesting because in the 70s and certainly for about two decades after, there was a huge movement towards encouraging women to have natural labor and to have a say in how their labor should occur. And so it seems almost like the antithesis of this to have a cesarean section as the choice involved in that. I was very much struck at the time that it was a part of the women's movement in general. I think the Lamaze classes and the Lamaze philosophy played a big role in this as well. When patients became interested in childbirth education classes, all that really was available to many women was Lamaze. And Lamaze taught that vaginal birth was much better than cesarean section for a number of reasons. And so the patients were really advocates for vaginal birth. These days, Lamaze classes are very hard to find. Very few patients seem interested in that, and their interest in vaginal birth as an end for itself is diminished as well. well. Why do you think a woman might request a cesarean section as opposed to trialing a vaginal birth? Different women request for a number of reasons. Some women, it's simply out of fear of labor or the pain of labor. Some women, it's because they are under the impression that this will eliminate certain bad outcomes and result in better neonatal outcomes. For some women, it's just the convenience for scheduling. And some women, they are afraid of injury to the pelvic floor and long-term issues related to bladder function and sexuality. You know, it's interesting. I think from a patient's point of view, all of those issues are things we hear about every day. And that in a lot of the studies that are talking about it, the first thing they mention is that the quote-unquote too posh to push idea, as a lot of the women in Hollywood have chosen to have elective cesarean section, have asked it as role models for the women today, totally outside of the medical reasons, just the protection of the vagina as they're seeing in famous people in the media. Well, it's very interesting. If you look at the first place in the world which addressed the issue of elective cesarean section, as my understanding, was in Brazil. And it became very much tied in with class and level of income, where women would look down at uh, labor as something that you could choose not to do because of its unpleasantness. And I think to some degree, that is what we're seeing in this country. So I think that's true for some women, but to me, in my experience, I don't think that's been the majority. I think the majority is for the sum of other reasons that I mentioned previously. You know, the perceived advantages of reduced neonatal difficulty, do you feel that's been shown in study or has been proven in some way other than just opinion? I think there are data out there that if you compare patients with 
labor, there is some risk to laboring of adverse events occurring during labor, which a elective scheduled cesarean might avoid. One of which, for instance, is if you do a scheduled cesarean at 39 weeks, you will eliminate the risk of stillbirth after that point, which sometimes is unpredictable. But if you add up all of these adverse outcomes that can happen while you're waiting for labor or while you are in labor that would have been avoided by an earlier cesarean, it's still a very small number. And it may be in the range of one or two per thousand. Now, it all depends on your perspective. And there are going to be women out there saying, wait, why should I take a one in a thousand risk that my child is going to be brain damaged or die? And to them, that seems like a very high number. If you look at, talk to someone else and you say, wait a second, you're telling me we're going to do a thousand operations to benefit one person? There's no place else in medicine that we get anywhere near that. It's a unique question when you look at it from that perspective. I think I was shocked when I reviewed the numbers of deliveries via C-section you would have to do to have that you know, more positive impact on neonatal outcome. And it was staggering. And I think if you think about the cost, the maternal risk, and for example, let's talk a little bit about what do we think is the disadvantage of elective cesarean section? There are certain complications of surgery which are more common than if a woman delivers vaginally. There's increased risk of hemorrhage. There's increased risk of infection. Now, these are low risks, but they are greater than the risk to the baby. But they are the risks that frequently mothers say they would happily take to spare their child. And I certainly understand that. In their perspective, that's true. But we also sometimes forget is, is there's risk to future pregnancies in women who have a cesarean in their first delivery. There's risk the scar can come open. There's more risk of scar tissue and injury during subsequent deliveries and other types of complications such as placenta accreta, which can result in a massive hemorrhage, and still it's not rare to have maternal death from that cause. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Advances in Women's Health on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lisa Mazzullo, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Alan Peaceman about the challenges of discussing and deciding with patients the thoughts on elective cesarean section. Dr. Peaceman, you were just talking about some of the disadvantages of of a subsequent delivery after an initial elective cesarean section, and one of those was the the risk to mother of excessive bleeding and possibly hysterectomy if a procreta or accreta of the placenta occurs due to the original cesarean section. Yes, it's a you know a terrible situation when you get into it, and we all sometimes get lulled into a level of comfort with cesarean. It's so safe these days compared to 30, 40 years ago in terms of anesthesia, in terms of antibiotics, and and the availability of blood. But when you get into a situation of massive hemorrhage due to a placenta accreta, it makes each one of us step back and say, now we understand why there is value in keeping the cesarean section rate as low as possible at a safe level. All you need to do is one cesarean section, I think, that results in hysterectomy to really appreciate that comment <laughs> for sure. Do you think that there's any impact on the increase in advanced maternal age patients and their risk generally for primary C-section? Uh, yes. We have seen a lot of data suggesting that cesarean section rates 
go up with age. And it's not all choice and it's not all that physicians are managing these patients differently. Even when you are managing them separately or similarly, age is a risk factor for failed labor. And it's not at all understood. It's potentially that the uterus, like other organs, has decreasing function with age. But the thing as with older mothers are is they're telling us frequently that they're planning on limiting their family size so that if they have a cesarean in a first pregnancy, there are not going to be as many future pregnancies to have the risks of a uterine scar that jeopardizes that many more pregnancies. I find patients tell me that all the time as well. But if you look at statistics, 50% of pregnancies are unplanned. So can we really rely upon that as a way to control the number of cesarean sections that would actually be needed for these patients? Obviously not, but the family size is smaller. We're all seeing fewer and fewer patients coming in and having uh, large numbers of children. So I think statistically speaking, the incidence of women ending up with four and five cesareans is decreasing and will continue to decrease over time. We were talking about some of the benefits that are perceived about elective cesarean section, and one of them was protection of the pelvic floor. Do you feel that that's something that's based in medical proven truth? There is probably some indeed value to this. And I I think it's much more complicated than people understand. I think there are going to be a lot of patients out there, even with elective cesareans without labor, who for genetic reasons or other reasons have pelvic floor dysfunction. Conversely, there are a lot of women out there who can deliver even large babies and have no morbidity for their entire lifetime. This is an area that's incompletely understood. It is hard to predict who is going to have it and even what the portion of the vaginal delivery is that causes the problem. For instance, we're managing labors a lot differently. Babies are bigger these days than they were 20 or 30 years ago, and we're letting women push three and four hours, and they're in different positions, and this may have as much to do with it as just having a labor by itself. I think it's always shocking when we see patients postpartum who've undergone cesarean sections, for example, for a breech presentation, and they're having incontinence when we all think that there must be some increase of risk of that with vaginal delivery. So I think you're right. There's a lot of unknowns in that particular arena, but it does appear to be there's some advantage in cesarean section with regards to reducing pelvic floor damage. Yes. I think that if you look totally at women who deliver vaginally, the incidence of women who are having problems with the bladder control in the first few months is much higher in those who deliver vaginally than those who deliver by cesarean. But we also have to remember that many of these people will it'll clear on their own with time or certain types of physical therapy. And as it is a huge burden to these people, or it can be in certain restrictions in their lifestyle, 
it doesn't cause severe hemorrhage like placenta accreta does. You know, it was interesting, I think, in the NIH recommended in 2006 three criteria to, to address this issue of cesarean section on maternal request. The first being each patient which should be counseled as an individual. The second being that if there were more than two children planned, that there was an increase in significant risk, and that only elective cesarean section should be performed after 39 weeks. And this opened up, I think, a lot of latitude for physicians in counseling patients. And so in, with all of that in mind, I'm asking you when the patient comes and says, I'd like to have an elective section, how do you respond to that patient? I think this is very difficult. Each physician needs to think it out for themselves. There's the concept of patient autonomy is very important in the practice of medicine today. And we want patients to ask questions and participate in their own care. A special thanks to our guest, Dr. Alan Peaceman, who's helped to elucidate the challenges of discussing with patients the risks and benefits of elective cesarean section. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Mazzullo. For questions or comments, complete program information, and on-demand podcasts, please visit us at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening to Advances in Women's Health, sponsored in part by Eli Lilly, with your host, Dr. Lisa Mazzullo. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, please go to reachmd.com forward slash women's health.